Good morning, family. Please turn to the 138th Psalm. That's where we will be this morning for communion. And if you do not have a communion cup, you will find them at the entrances, so grab one now. I want to read this passage and then pray. Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise, I bow down before your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me, my strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For the lo though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we come before you anticipating your grace and your mercy Anticipating, Lord, that we will once again be stirred up in our hearts and our minds and realize the wonder of who Jesus is. Anticipating, Lord, that we will see your glory. We thank you, Father, that you are truly high and lifted up. You are above all things. There is nothing in our mind or in this world that we could conjure up that has a greater capacity to satisfy our soul than the living God. We thank you for all you do. We thank you for the wonder of your name. And we thank you for the work that you are yet even still completing to bring us home. We give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. Through Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Well, it is no coincidence that the Holy Spirit placed Psalm 138 where he placed Psalm 138. As we worked through Psalm 137, we saw such a picture of what it means to live life in exile, live life as a citizen of a country that you are not yet in possession of. One of the dangers of this life in exile is you might have the inclination and the weakness of your flesh to attempt to live the Christian life well in your own strength. And I can testify to you this morning that when you attempt to go down that road, it ends in a train wreck. It produces most often a heart that is struggling with affections for God, a heart that is weak in prayer, and a heart that looks at the landscape of what God is doing in your life, the circumstances going on around you, and then from this text, the midst of your trouble and question if God really knows what he's doing. 
So as we move into this psalm, I want you to zero in on the second half of verse 5, because this is what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Great is the glory of the Lord. On page 11 of your worship guide, we're going to just unpack three points. And as we unpack these points, we need to keep in our mind that as this psalm targets these three areas of these weak affections and these uh, weak prayer life and questioning God, that the solutions are never complicated. We like to make simple complicated. But yet in the scriptures, the solution is always simple. And I was thinking through this, and I don't know if you've ever opened up a troubleshooting guide for an appliance. But you wonder why they print some of the things they print. So here's one yogurt maker we just got. Troubleshooting guide. Yogurt maker will not turn on. Solution. Plug yogurt maker into working outlet. Here's another one for our coffee machine. Coffee maker water does not flow. Solution. Fill water tank with water. Here's Holly's sewing machine. She didn't realize I was touching her stuff this weekend. Here's Holly's sewing machine. Sewing machine does not work. Plug sewing machine in. See page five. There's actually a page dedicated to this solution. Here's Madeline's waffle maker. Waffle maker batter leaks. Solution. Reduce the amount of batter. And as we unpack this Psalm 138, we're going to find very similar solutions. And I think if we dig into this, and as we, in this world as exiles, as our minds and our hearts drift away from Jesus Christ, listen to some of the solutions of the troubleshooting. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Here's another one. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Here's this one. Put off your old self and put on your new self. And these struggles, ultimately, they find their roots in the exile of not setting, setting our mind where glory reigns. And that's on our living God. So as we give God all glory this morning, I want to draw you into three areas that this text puts in front of us. We want to give God all glory, firstly, for a whole heart. Look at your passage in front of you and see how the psalmist is giving God in a particular way with his whole heart. Now, if we reflect back, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, our heart wasn't whole. Our heart was actually dead and cold and hard towards God. We had no desire to give him glory. We didn't even have the capacity to give him glory. And then God displayed his power in the gospel. And when the power of the gospel broke through our cold, dead hearts, our hearts became alive. Spurgeon said this of this passage, we needed a broken heart to mourn our sins, but we need a whole heart to praise 
God and his perfection. And this passage opens, drawing our attention to, brothers and sisters, you have a whole heart. Listen to some of the words from Psalm 119 that talk about this. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. Psalm 119.10, With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Psalm 119.34, Give me understanding, that I might keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. 119.58, I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Psalm 119.69. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. And because our hearts are whole, we can rightly worship God. Just look at your passage in front of you. Look at all the different ways a whole heart responds to God. The first thing we see immediately is a whole heart responds with thankfulness. We see it twice. I give you thanks, O Lord. And then in middle of verse 2, give thanks to your name. We see that a whole heart is satisfied. Look at the contrast in the passage. Before the gods. That is telling us, brothers and sisters, that with this heart that we now possess because of the work Jesus Christ has done on the cross, that every idol can be stacked up that this world offers and will pale in comparison to the living God. That we will actually... Give him glory and praise before the gods. It will not distract us. We will not be led off path or off task because our hearts are now whole. And look at the way that the psalmist before the gods, he says, I sing your praise. So this picture of a joyfulness in our heart. There's a satisfaction that only a Christian knows when it comes to worship. And we were created to worship. The issue is not that that's wired into our DNA. The issue is that we redirect it towards things that have no capacity for glory. And look at the the reverence of this whole heart. Look at the front end of verse 2. I bow down. He prostrates himself before the living God because he recognizes that God is magnificent. And look how engaged he is in worship. Just in these first two verses, look at how many times we see the word your, your praise, your holy temple. Your name, your steadfast love, your faithfulness. And he ends it with your word. Do you hear the echo of this from Mark twelve thirty? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And that, brothers and sisters, is a reality because you have a whole heart before God. 
And why, so why do our affections waver? Why are we so easily drawn off the living God to give him glory and honor? We have a whole heart. And look at the answer of the solution to that problem, the troubleshooting guide. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. And in some texts, it's you have exalted your word above your name. But in either way that it translates, the reality is there's a simple solution for the heart that is whole that has become dull. And that's the word. A whole heart worships God in completeness when it is immersed in his word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. When we are in the scriptures and we are searching into the word, who is it that we're supposed to be finding? Our savior. We find Jesus in all of his glory. And when we find Jesus in all of his glory, the whole heart that we already possess begins to resound with the glory of God. But let's look at the second reason we would give God all glory. Look at verses 3 through 6. We give God all glory for a humble heart. The biggest enemy of our souls is pride. Pride absolutely destroys conversation with God. When we call on God from a place of pride, he doesn't hear nor answer. Consider the Pharisee from Luke chapter 18. In what way was he praying to God? The passage in Luke 18 says, He was praying as one trusting in himself and one trusting in his own righteousness. And when he prayed, he actually displayed for all to see contempt for others. And in his display of contempt, his prayer oozed with pride. I praise God that I am not like that guy. And he did it openly and he did it publicly. Did God hear him? No. This is this contempt and this prideful inflated heart. Ultimately, it's contending for authority with the living God. Proverbs 6.16 tells us that there's six things that the Lord hates and seven that are abomination to him and number one on the list. Haughty eyes. Pride. And it's right there in your text. Look at the end of verse 6. But the haughty, he knows from afar. Proverbs 8.13 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and perverted speech I hate. John Stott says it this way. Pride is itself the essence of all sin. 
At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. And in this passage, we're drawn to giving glory to God for a humble heart. And if we think back to that tax collector who was also praying in Luke chapter 18, his communication with God was the very picture of this humble heart. He humbled himself before the Lord and the Lord exalted him. The tax collector was so stricken by his own sin in contrast to a holy God that God said he went down to his house justified. And if we think about what it means to have humility in our life, what does it take to crush our pride? Is that our work or is that God's work? When God calls Job into his throne room in Job chapter 40 and verse 10, and Job is going to get what he's been pushing for. I want my day in court with you. I want you to answer for the things that have been going on here. And listen to how God summons him. He tells Job in Job 40 verse 10, Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. And clothe yourself with glory and with splendor. And pour out the overflowings of your anger. And look on everyone who is proud and abase them or make them humble. Verse 12, he says, tells them again, look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and then tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust altogether, bind their faces in the world below. And then after he says that to Job, bring your A game and your A game had better include the ability to take pride in the human heart and bring it low and make it humble. And he says in verse 14 to Job, when you've accomplished this, then I will also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. So where does humility come from? Do we conjure it up? Or is it a gift of God? Listen to Isaiah 66.1. God says, heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What house are you going to build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All the things that we see, God says, my hand made them. And so these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I look. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And it's interesting in this passage. Look at who God says he brings humility to. All the kings of the earth. You know, if we think about this, we realize, at least for me, I realize pretty quickly that when I'm displaying sinful people across a curve, my mind gravitates to those who do the most detestable things. Murder. Rape. But the, in the economy of God, the most detestable thing before him 
is someone who comes in pride. And in this passage, he takes the ones that have the greatest capacity to be full of themselves and bring them low. He takes the kings of the earth. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? How full of himself was Nebuchadnezzar? And what did God do to him? He gave him the gift of humility. So much so that he was like the neighborhood cow, grazing in the pasture with his long nails, eating grass, and everybody looked at him and went, something's off with Nebi. And this is the picture of our God. Our God deals with pride in our life. And how do we know that? Look at your passage. On the day I called, you answered me. And look at the middle of verse 6. He regards the lowly. We'd have to ask, at least I have to ask myself, why do I struggle with weak-hearted prayer? When God has given in his grace the calling of him and he answers because he regards the lowly. He regards the ones that have been brought to the end of themselves. And that's ultimately the gospel wrapped up. Coming to the end of yourself and realizing that you are not God and he is. And when this happens, there is a capacity of access to him that is astounding. And look how he answers. Do, I can't, I testify, I can, I've never prayed this way. When I'm going through trials and tribulations, I've never prayed, increase my strength of soul. Typically, my prayers are usually something like giving God righteous instruction on how he might solve the problems in my life if he was paying closer attention. <laughs> and I cannot, as I worked on this passage, remember a time where I was going through something in my life that I actually said, Lord, please increase the strength of my soul. Do you realize that's a prayer he's going to answer? Because that's what he does. And it's no mistake that it's connected to the very next thing we're going to look at. Look at the last point. This morning we want to give God glory for a quiet heart. 2 Corinthians 1 tells us that God should be blessed because he is the father of all mercies and all comfort. And he comforts us in all our afflictions. And as exiles, we live continually in afflictions because we're in hostile territory. And the passage here in 138 says that though I walk in the midst of trouble. I'm going to give you a quick story about uh, C.J. Mahaney's sister Sharon. 
You don't know C.J. Mahanian or his sister Sharon, but you'll like the story. Sharon's husband, Dave, was dying of cancer. He had a brain tumor, and he was under hospice care. And Dave was not an old man. Dave was young enough to have children that would miss him and a wife that was going to miss him. And there was a continual stream of friends and family coming to visit Dave while he was under hospice care to see him before he left. One of the friends came, and this friend was visibly and audibly angry. And he was angry specifically at God, wanting to know how Dave and Sharon could worship a God that's this cruel and this mean and this vindictive. And he asked Sharon, why aren't you angry? Listen to her response. Dave deserved hell for his sins. Just like you and just like me. And yet God in his mercy forgave him and gave him because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dave is actually going to heaven. How can I be angry at God for taking Dave to heaven? And when we get this microscopic view of what's going on in our life, zoomed in on the circumstances, we very quickly lose hold of one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, and that is a quiet heart. Because look at the passage. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, and look at all the things that God does for the quiet heart. He preserves you. The text says, you preserve my life. Psalm 121.7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will not only give you life, he will give you abundant life. Look at what else happens. Look at verse 7. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. A quiet heart is a protected heart. A heart actually protected by the living God. Here's one you may have heard over the last many years. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and great joy. A quiet heart is delivered by God. Look at the end of verse 7. Your right hand delivers me. 2 Corinthians 1.10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. Here's another one that God is doing in the heart of the Christian. Look at the front end of verse 8. The Lord will fulfill. That can also be translated uh, perfect or perfect or accomplish or complete. Do we meditate on that one? The Lord will perfect you. 
no matter how many ugly warts you've got now, in glory, you will be there in perfection because he will accomplish his work. 1 John 3, 2 tells us that, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has yet has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, that's Jesus, we shall be like him. You meditate on that how much? When Jesus appears and you see him in his glory and you move into perfection, you will be like him. And that's a truth that my heart has a hard time grabbing hold of sometimes. How about the quiet heart is never forgotten by God? Look at the passage. Not only is he going to fulfill his purpose for you, his steadfast love in your life endures forever. There's no end to it. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. And here's God speaking to you. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and therefore I have continued in my faithfulness to you. His love will never end. It will echo into eternity and keep on going. And look at the last one, for the quiet heart. Your God remembers you. The text says, do not forsake the work of your hands. And if we rightly connect back to everything that we just looked at, his praise, his holy temple, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his word above all things, that when we call on him, he answers us. Because he regards the lowly. He preserves us. He protects us. He delivers us and he perfects us. Is he going to remember us? It's kind of a silly question, isn't it? If he had the capacity to forget us, then Jesus should have never said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And he should have never said, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And he should have never said, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. John 10, 28. God will never forsake the work of his hands. So as we live here in the already, but the not yet, our hearts can be quiet in the midst of circumstances that we seriously question what God is doing. And the reason that we have, can have quiet hearts is because we know he's preserving us. We know he's stretching out his right hand. We know he's perfecting us. And he, we know that he will never, ever 
have a level of love for us that decreases in any capacity. Isn't that so contrary to the love we show? Even if we're alive and our hearts are beating and we're displaying love for one another, it's a wavering love. And ultimately, it's a love that is completely defective because it ends. But the living God loves us with an everlasting love. Is that going to produce a quiet heart? Waiting anxiously for the Lord? Let me leave you with this while we move to the communion table. Habakkuk 3.16 I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and the fruit and not be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there's no herds in the stalls. There's some pretty dire circumstances. And listen to what he says. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And this is why we're here this morning, brothers and sisters, to come around the communion table and give God the glory due him because he has given us a whole heart. He has given us a humble heart and he has given us a quiet heart while we anxiously await to go home. So take a few minutes and glory in your Savior. And then let's take communion together.